Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now moments crowded with laughter listen to this show then you'll be happier after when off to work you go all the cares throughout the day will dwindle away and you will say the day is happier after the show silence silence i send this sparky so he has to do all the editing so i still have to do real work (laughs) that's great here i just did a podcast you edit it yep Exactly. That's how it's always been. I've never been the technology guy. When uh, <laughs> when I, I – so like I did the – I don't know if you ever listened to the Valiant podcast I did with Martin, but we did that for a long time. And I kind of – I dabbled in a few other things on Nerdy Legion. Um, like there's quite a few podcasts that I got going um, and then ended up – like it's always been hard for me. Like it's easier now, but like – my son's special needs, like, it was really hard to commit time to doing a podcast. Um, and when I started trying to do stuff on my own, when the Valiant podcast was starting to lag because, like, the enthusiasm was dwindling with myself and Martin, and, uh, mm. like, it just, it was it was getting difficult. And I knew that at some point, like, we were going to get tired of doing it, and I was going to be high and dry on a podcast, which is exactly what ended up happening. But so when I started doing my own thing... I just sent it to Sparky and he edited it for me. Like he, he was enthusiastic about like getting involved in podcasts, but he's like, I'm never going to do one, but he would edit mine. Then he started doing one with his cousin and then somebody else hit him up about joining on some like sci-fi books, uh, podcast. And I was like, Hey, if you ever want to do another podcast, do one with me. That's basically how we started doing it. (sighs) Martin actually lives like 30 miles down the road from me. Yeah. It's funny. Small world. I think, uh, Jonathan Sanchez is in your neighborhood approximately somewhere. I don't think I'm familiar with him. He, he was one of the big Valiant guys. Um, hmm. Yeah, I know like you, Martin, uh, Chris Parton, I believe is down in that neck of the woods. He's a, he, Yeah, he's in this area. Yeah, I got nobody up here. <laughs> you know, it's really funny though. So I, uh, where I lived in California, I live in Santa Clarita. So the first comic shop, well, not the first. The comic shop I went to uh, before moving to Maine. I didn't go there regularly. I wasn't subscribing or anything, but it was uh, called Brave New World. Um, uh, Andy, who worked for Valiant, uh, ended up buying that comic shop. So, like, basically my oh. old comic shop ended up getting bought by somebody that I knew from Valiant who I became friends with. And he was in my fantasy football league for a few years. That's awesome. Yeah. I was, well, you probably knew this thing because if you were around with the Valiant stuff, someone actually 
threw my name out to um, to Dinesh, and he ended up sending me a box of like all the gold books. Oh, nice! And um, the the oversized hardcover of XO One and Harbinger One, and then the um, the solid black like. It was just, I don't remember. It was just like a valiant, like a teaser book or something, and it was signed by like all of the creative. Yeah. Like anybody that had anything to do in the office, it was signed by them. And I had no, I still to this day have no idea how I got this box. <laughs> it was it was crazy back in those days, and that that's what was so addictive about the valiant community was, um, the the fan base was so rabid and but supportive it was rabid in a positive way like everybody was so into it and so supportive of each other for so long and the the company when it was run by the people who founded it it was very much supportive of those people who were very grassroots driving it and um you know it, it when dmg got involved it just got diluted and went to shit basically but uh you know, Martin and I did the Valiant podcast for like three years. We hit over a hundred episodes of that before we kind of flagged on it. Um, and at one point, Dinesh ended up sending me a box of comics. And uh, you're lucky if your box is packed well because the the main thing I ever noticed about when they send books is they packed them like crap. So I got four uh, variant covers of uh, gosh, what book was it? It was Britannia. And they were valuable, and they were beat up pretty well. Uh. If they hadn't been beat up, they probably would have been worth like eight hundred bucks to me. Wow! Uh, I still was able to sell them to uh, a big time collector that knew like how to do like pressing and all that kind of stuff, to, like get comics fixed mm-hmm. that were damaged. I sold them to him for like two hundred bucks, and then I used all that money to buy a, a bunch of books because I had sold my Valiant collection when we bought our house. And uh, so I, I bought a whole bunch of the collection again, and then, like, I, you know, after that, I kind of started flagging off on Valiant, and I ended up, like, um, selling the physical copies and buying digital copies of a lot of the stuff, but yeah, progress is how it is. It definitely, like, once Dinesh was gone, like, it just kind of ripped the heart out of it, and I don't really, I don't know what they do anymore. Like, I don't keep up with it, because, yeah. like, I'd rather keep that, like, that golden era of, um, like, you were saying, get into EXO. So, like, when I first got into Valiant, um... I was able to get Archer and Armstrong and Bloodshot from the first issue. So that those are one of the first four titles launched. It was EXO, Archer and Armstrong, Bloodshot, and Harbinger. And EXO uh, was first, and I don't know the order <laughs> after that. But So the, Bloodshot and Archer and Armstrong were the first two I got into. I got a few issues of each, and then I went back and got all that I could because they were having that sell at, at my comic shop. And when I really dug those, eventually they did the um, the Harbinger Wars crossover that was Bloodshot and Harbinger. So I got into Harbinger, and then I got into EXO. But I was able to go by like the first 19 issues of EXO on eBay for really cheap. And, man, there is nothing better than getting into something new and then being able to pick up a whole bunch of it for cheap and then binge on oh, it. Oh, yeah. And it would just be so good. That's exactly what Valiant was. Yeah, my, my LCS was able to get me... So around 18 of EXO. So, you know, we're, we're talking less than 60, 70 books total. Um, they were able, to, in their back issues, pull everything together. To, I bought a full collection and kept, you know, everything Valiant was on my list. So, um, and that, and that's one thing about me. For whatever reason, I'm either all in or I'm not. Yeah. I, and I think, <laughs> I, 
I think you saw that post the other day that I'm like, you know what? I don't have to buy every Spider-Man book to read Amazing Spider-Man. Exactly. I'm, but something like I'm Star Wars. That. Star Wars you've learned is worth you being all in on. And that's that's the difference is figuring out what's right and what's not, you know? That's Yeah, that's true. When um, So when I started dabbling in the original run of Valiant, VH1, um, my comic shop, Coast City Comics in Portland, which if you ever come to Maine, like, they're awesome. Um, he had a quarter bin section. And I remember talking to him, and he told me flat out, the quarter bin section isn't financially worth the space it takes. Like, they don't make enough money off of it to actually be worth that amount of space it took in their comic shop. And it wasn't like it was the biggest section, but it just goes to, to show you, like, I mean, they're in, in downtown mm-hmm. Portland. It's, it's the the most expensive place to be in Maine. Um, but so I got hundreds of VH1 books for a quarter a pop. And once I got literally everything I could out of those bins, he had a bunch of, uh, of long boxes down in his basement of other VH1 books. And, uh, he sold those to me. So like they were a dollar a piece, but then he would like, however many I got, he would knock, some money off of it so like if i got like 80 books he'd probably sell it to me for 60 bucks so he was a big part of the reason why i was able to build up i i at one point actually had the entire collection of vh1 which is over 600 books wow and uh luckily like i got all the expensive or hard to get ones before there started being movie news and stuff and like the books started getting expensive uh-huh. um but it was like it was all because i was even able to start on it because of of Coast City Comics because of Tristan. And that was like, that's one of my favorite collecting experiences. And that's the only time that I, I spent a lot of effort and money collecting something. And I definitely made a profit off of selling it because I was able to sell complete runs of these books to people that were looking for them. And it was all because I made friends and knew people too. But yeah, that was a heck of an experience. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever, ever hit on something like that again, you know? Do you uh do you remember the Valiant artifacts that they kept on talking about? Uh, a little bit. If we're if we're thinking of the same thing, like I know Robert Venditti had his artifacts. Yes. Yeah. I have one of those. <laughs> what did you get? So, so when when he was uh, he lives in South Carolina somewhere, or George, yeah. he lives in Georgia, and that's close to you know within a couple hours from from where I live. So uh, we have a little small. Um, it's grown quite big, but South Carolina Comic Con, which is in Martin's hometown. Yeah. And um, he was going to be there. And this was right when I was in my, you know, the height of my Valiant stage. And so we'd been talking back and forth on uh, Twitter. And he, uh, yeah, you know, I, he asked me what the first Valiant book I bought. And I said, well, it was your number eight, you know, you know, XO Man of War 18. And he happened to have a print of that cover. It's not a, it's not a great print. It's the picture that's got um, uh, Eric and um, I want to say it's Harada on the other side. Yeah. And uh, they're just kind of staring at each other, like half faces. So it's not the most you know gorgeous cover you've ever seen, but that was just my first. And so I, I bought that print, obviously. And he wrote at the bottom, "You never forget your first, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and. <laughs> And then he said, he said, I'm not sure if you know what this is. He says, but, but I, I do these things called Valiant Artifacts, and these are one-of-a-kind memorabilia. And it was a, a handwritten page of his notes for that issue. That's really awesome. Yep. So I've, I've got them framed side by side, and I don't actually have the, the, the picture up now. It's, it's, it's in storage at the moment. 
Um, but I'm thinking about, she moved some of her stuff out into the family room. So I've got some more room in the bedroom. I'm thinking about pulling it out and sticking it up again. <laughs> you can have comics up in your bedroom. I'm lucky I have an office. <laughs> oh, wow. No, I've got like, like right above my bed. I've got, um, my all time favorite Superman cover, which is, uh, Superman volume two, number 59, um, a replica of action comics. Number one, I've got that, um, beautiful 1000 covers of action comics, uh-huh. um, to the side. I don't know if you've ever seen that big poster they did at the anniversary issue. Uh, send me a picture of it got, later though. I will. It's got every, like the, the, the covers are like half an inch thumbnails. Yeah. So in, in order to see them, you really have to kind of get up and close, but it's got every single cover A from Action Comics number one to Action Comics 1000. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so that's over here. And then uh, my, my bookshelf is in the bedroom of all my trades. So Yeah, one of the things when we bought a house is uh, my, my wife's an artist, so she mm-hmm. needed her space to be able to have a studio to like work on art. And I, I said, I, I need my own space. Like I, my whole life, I've never had like my own living situation. I lived at home. I lived with her and a roommate and like roommates, roommates. And then we had our own house. But so like, I, I've always, like, I've never had my own space up until we got this house. Uh, we never had enough space for me to have like my own space. So like, I mean, back in the Valiant days, do you remember the big, uh, armor hunters they did the giant connecting cover like yes so i had gotten all of those and i had actually gotten out of collecting valiant before i even was able to put them up and i sold them Mm. um so like getting a house like i need to have my own space so we uh, you know i we got a house where i have like i don't have a door on my office but i have like my own area and Mm -hmm. uh, i've slowly been ordering the bcw comic frames and going around the border of my my walls yeah, and, I've seen those pictures. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Like one of my my favorite thing is I got all thirteen issues of the TMNT City at War run, and uh, you know from the original Mirage run, I got all those covers up there. And I think once I mm-hmm. get the border all the way around, the next thing I'm gonna do, and I have all these already, but I'm gonna put up all of the uh, Marvel Comic Presents. That is the the Weapon X run because mm-hmm. they're all Barry Windsor Smith covers and they're fantastic. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great to be able to do that stuff. Um, I was gonna say Martin has a Robert Venditti artifact. Um, he told me about it oh, years ago, and once again, like you know, locally, like you know, he always comes all the things, and um, I I forget the story exactly, but I, I believe Martin basically said that Venditti prompted him to ask for it because like you have to know what you're asking for but Vin Diddy uh-huh. like prompted him to ask for it so he could give it to him but uh yeah it's you know it's so cool to make those kind of connections like I don't have a lot of connections in comics that, like there's no cons up where I live and I can't afford to go to anywhere else but um like one friend I've made is uh JK Woodward uh, I went to one uh-huh. convention in Maine Coast City Comics did one convention and I met J.K. Woodward there, and he's mostly done Star Trek and some Doctor Who stuff for IDW. But he uh-huh. did one cover for TMNT. He's a big TMNT fan. And I've been friends with him for years. Like, I hit him up to ask him about uh, what I should listen to of David Bowie when Bowie died. Because I never really listened to Bowie, but I was like, I should, you know? And he didn't, like, send me a list of stuff. He said, call me and get a notepad. So I called him. And he, like, was talking to me on the phone, telling me all this stuff to listen to, you know? But, uh, 
it, it, it's so cool to have that. Like I, I came up with this like dream commission that was just perfect. I had been bouncing this idea in my head, and I finally got down to what I wanted to, and I sent it. Like I said, hey, I want this, and it's uh, you know the the broken bat cover where Bane is breaking Batman's mm-hmm. back. Yep. So, Four ninety seven. Yeah. So like I had always loved that. That was uh, one of the the Batman comic arcs that was like the regular comic not something that was made for trade like you know uh oh gosh now, uh i'm gonna blank home i just had it in my head the the long uh oh god what? nightfall nightfall yeah, nightfall is that what was the other one the one that goes through all the holidays oh that's the long halloween long halloween okay so i was right okay so like long halloween was clearly written for trade like it wasn't the individual issues mm-hmm. yeah i know they release as individual issues but like it's pretty obvious you know that it was like meant to be this yes. size thing so nightfall is the only batman thing that i i like i got all the trades and i loved it um but i always loved that cover of bane breaking batman's back and um when then they did the batman tmnt crossover so i started getting these ideas of like okay i could do something with that but do it a little bit differently i was like okay i could do like rocksteady breaking batman's back it'll be like crossing over right but then mm-hmm. the the tmnt issue came out where rocksteady and bebop killed donatello and i was like oh this is perfect so i had him do rocksteady breaking donatello's back which is exactly what mm. they did but in in the vein of that cover and it's it's fantastic I guess, so I, I got that. I got the uh, the comic, uh, you know, my comic shop that closed. Like, when he had one, I told him, like, if you come across this, like, let me know, and I'll definitely buy it from you. Bought the cover from him. The best part of the story is, I show this to my son. Like, he had already, of course, like, I had the, the commission up on the wall. I showed him the commission. I showed him the comic book and said, see, this is done, like, in this style. And he was, like, I don't know, five then? So he goes and he draws a picture of uh cheetah breaking wonder woman's back and i was like that's that's just the best thing ever like he he saw all this and he wanted to do it himself like i have now i have three you know three pieces of art i have bane breaking batman's back i have rocksteady breaking donatello's back and i have my son drawing cheetah breaking wonder woman's back as a five-year-old you know and that's probably the most precious of all of them yeah, it's close. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but so 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 what's with your Beastie Boy kick? Oh man, so I <laughs> I've listened to the Beastie Boys my whole life. Like uh, License Ill came out when I was like three, so I mean I wasn't listening to it then. But I remember when my older sister. I'm so old. <laughs> I just have a lot of old friends. Um, my my older sister. When she was in, like, junior high, high school age, like, I remember her listening to License to Ill, because I remember the songs Brass Monkey, Girls, mm-hmm. and Fight for Your All Right to Party. Right? Yeah. Um, th- those are the three that stood out to, to me at that time, okay. because, like, as, you know, whatever her age was, like, that's that was what she listened to. So, I was too young then, but, like, those songs, like, always kind of stuck with me. And then, you know, I get older... My kind of prime age was when Hello Nasty came out. I was 15 years old when Hello Nasty came out. And I didn't. I never actually had Hello Nasty at that time, but they released The Sounds of Science right after that that was an anthology. Mm-hmm. I got The Sounds of Silence, and I listened to that so much. And I had never I never had any of the individual albums at that point, but like I listened to them a ton. But I wasn't really into hip-hop then. 
And it was like I was uh, as I kind of got into my own in music. Like the first thing I got into was uh, was punk, and I was listening to like Rancid and Less Than Jake and. Like, my senior year, I remember I went to the Warp Tour, like, right after I graduated, uh, and Rancid and Less Than Jake were both performing. It was Rancid and Pennywise were headlining. But, like, I never really got deeper into punk music than that. Like, I kept on looking for stuff, and I just, like, I wasn't finding stuff that really grabbed me. And then I started uh, hanging out with uh, one of my cousin's friends who was really into hip-hop. And he made his own music. And then I started working with uh, a kid I had went to high school with. He made music with a collective of other people. I introduced my one friend to them. They all became friends, and my my one friend started making music with them also. So they were all like, there were there were rappers, there were DJs, there were producers, like they were all making music together. And they got me into underground hip hop, which then led to me getting into old school hip hop, which. Uh, led to me developing, you know, like a great affection for like uh, De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, mm. and Beastie Boys was always one of those that was mainstream enough that I it was easy to overlook them until they caught my attention. But when I went back and listened to like Paul's Boutique, uh, a lot of their music in that has been like referenced by the underground hip hop stuff that I listened to. Like there's a line gotcha. um, in Paul's boutique. I'm a I'm a writer, a poet, a genius. I know it. I don't buy Chiba. I grow it. But then Sage mm-hmm. Francis flipped that line, basically the same line, but he says I don't buy Chiba or Moet because he's straight edge. So like you know, he also doesn't grow Chiba and smoke it. But anyways, so like hitting those lines and finding them like from the the underground hip hop I was listening to, and then finding them in old school hip hop was just like blowing my mind when I was that age. So you know, then the years pass. And I get to where, like, finding new music is more difficult. And um, I've definitely, like, I've realized that I've outgrown a lot of the music that I really loved because it doesn't resonate with me emotionally like it used to. So, you know, it's like I'm always kind of poking around, poking around old stuff. And then for some reason recently I started thinking about the Beastie Boys a lot more again. And, you know, it's like I've seen stuff come out like, uh, I mean, years ago they had a, a DVD that was the Criterion Collection that was their all their music videos. I had had that years ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they came out with the Beastie Boys book. I was like, I'm going to get that one of these days, but I just kind of never got around to it. And then they released the uh, the documentary they did on uh, Apple uh, TV. And we have Apple TV for free for a year because I bought my wife an iPad for Christmas. So I was like, okay, I'll watch this. Before I even watched it, like I started listening to them again a little bit and was like, man, this is really good. I watched that documentary and I was just head over heels in love with the Beastie Boys. Not only stuff like learning more about MCA, who just like everything I've heard about him is just like a fantastic person and like the kind of person that should be inspiring to all of us. Um, But then also seeing a lot of the creativity that was behind even some of the music that I kind of don't think of as highly of like license to ill like all the songs i just mentioned girls brass monkey and fight for your right party are like awful songs content wise you know like (laughs) awful examples of what you should be but then learning stuff like um one of the the songs on that album i forget which one i'll have to like i've watched the documentary once i want to watch it again but mca had heard about um different artists looping uh, doing like tape loops 
And uh, the other guys, you know, the, the two surviving members mentioned going to his apartment. And he had um, this big reel-to-reel tape player. He had two mic stands. And he had this tape going from the reel-to-reel around one mic stand, around the other mic stand, and then back onto the reel. And he looped tape that way, all just because he had heard of it, and then he wanted to try. And that kind of stuff is just, like, it blows my mind, like, the creativity. Uh, and you listen to this stuff, and, like, when you dig in and, and really hear the creativity in the music, like, it's easy to look at them as, like, a pop act. You know, they're, they're popular, they're rap, but, like, you know, and, yes, they, they're influential, but, you know, are they pop music, or have they been something more than that? And, like, digging into more info on them, man, there's so much more than that. And it just, like, it hit me right in the vein of what really matters to me. And I, I've been listening to them nonstop in the last few weeks. I got the Beastie Boys book, and I started reading that. I watched the documentary. I got the Criterion Collection DVD of their videos. I've been showing it to my son. My son has been loving the Beastie Boys stuff I've been showing him. I showed him the video for Body Movin', uh, for Intergalactic, and for 3MCs and 1DJ. And I love that his favorite one is 3MCs and 1DJ because it's just them all being goofy and performing. And plus this Mixmaster Mike who's freaking fantastic. Uh, but yeah, so, I don't know. It's just It's been fantastic. And I just like something hit me the right way. And like I've always listened to the Beastie Boys and I've always liked the Beastie Boys. But now like not only do I respect them immensely more as artists, I expect them immensely more as people from what I've seen. So that, that's why like I'm I got you. I was just yeah. curious because, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think sometime after Hello Nasty, they lost me, and I, I, I need to go back and listen to some of the later stuff. And it, see, I haven't even listened um, to much of that yet. So I just today started listening to to the Five Burrows, and I, like I mean, I've heard some of it before, and even listened to like a few songs recently. But um, but yeah, I mean, like after Hello Nasty was, it was kind of a different world for them. Like you know, stuff spread out a little bit more. Oh yeah. But um. Yeah, To the Five Burrows is definitely good. I think they go back a little more to their roots of not worrying about being as, like, radio-friendly because they definitely get a little mm-hmm. bit more profane in their music. Um, but it's good. Uh, and then I haven't listened past that, but I know that one of their albums after that is, like, an instrumental album. Um, but, I mean, you go back and listen to all of their albums, like, after License to Ill, and they have, like, such a diverse mix of stuff, like instrumental songs hardcore punk songs like all kinds of stuff like that it's amazing what they do yeah the the thing about them was you know license still very popular very very radio-esque and then this the follow-up album paul's boutique not as much i mean there was one or two songs that could be on the radio and then hello nasty kind of went and it, like i don't even think hey ladies was a radio worthy song but it was <laughs> it freaking and then in it. <laughs> and, and, and then from there it was like well we just don't care anymore i don't care if our songs get the radio and i was just it was like a weird you know growing up because you know when i was a teenager when that license deal came out i wasn't three <laughs> um damn i'm old <laughs> you were you were 18 it, it was it was it was so bizarre to to hear being a teenager, being that young, I, I don't, I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now. Yeah, and that's like, that's exactly it. Is like it's it's hard to appreciate. It. Like you change over age, and to be able to go back and listen to something you listen to as a teenager and see it differently is freaking amazing. Like I absolutely despised Paul's Boutique when it came out. Just I was like, 
coming off of License to Ill, which like almost every single song was a hit, <laughs> you know, and then then what the heck? And, and now Paul's Boutique is my favorite Beastie Boy yeah, album. So good. By far. Yeah, and then after, so after that, so. you had um, Check Your Head, and then you had uh, Ill Communication, which I think Ill Communication might have been um, their, their, I don't know, it's hard to say, was it Ill Communication or was it Hello Nasty that was their pinnacle? I think Hello Nasty, like, resonated more popularly in ways. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Body Movin' and Intergalactic, like, nobody doesn't know those songs. Oh, yeah. But Ill Communication, same thing, but there were so many good songs. And there was the song they did with Q-Tip, which when I got the, the Sounds of Science anthology, that was the song that blew my mind. I wasn't listening, like, I hadn't listened to Tribe Called Quest yet at that point. So hearing that song with Q-Tip was just, like, it was so good. And... You know, it was, um, I mean, I was in high school, then it was probably a couple years later that I really started getting introduced to De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest and, uh... Three Feet High and Rising, all-time favorite rap album. It, it makes me so upset that, uh, you can't find any of that stuff, because they, they aren't publishing any of it because of the, the sample laws. And it's all because of digital music that is creating the barriers mm. with the sample laws. They won't pay them the money to get the rights to for the samples because when digital music started becoming prevalent, it's, it's not covered under the original stuff they paid for, basically. So super frustrating. Yes. And if you ever if you ever come across any of those original De La Soul albums, like get them and sell and like get them for me. Like I I want them so bad. I don't have any of the CDs because I like I went away from CDs because I thought I'd always be able to get it. You know, I don't have any of their CDs. I would love their records, but those are going for like hundreds of dollars a piece. I've got the CD for Three Feet High and Rising somewhere in this house. I'll, 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 I'll get I'll, if I can find it because my CDs are in boxes. <laughs> um, I like I said, I, I burned all my CDs off, and I've got them on my you know my my iPad, my iTunes, whatever. Mm-hmm. But if I I'll, if I can dig that out, I'll send it to you because I I don't need it. I'll trade you some for it too. I'll give you something nice. You know me. I just I just explain this all to you. <laughs> I always exceed expectations. I have I have a challenge for you though. Yep. I have some homework. Okay. You probably have never heard of this group before. Let's try me. Me me fi me. M e p h i m e or phi as in the Greek symbol. Yeah. I need you. I need you to find like maybe YouTube the album if it's on YouTube. Um, I need you to give that a listen. They were a one and done album, and it's probably my second favorite rap album behind Three Feet High and Rising. All right, so so am I hearing that you're a hip hop head? I am everything but country, <laughs> and when I say everything but country, that includes classical, jazz, opera, rock, right. classic rock, so d- hip hop. Are you saying you don't listen to Johnny Cash? Um, if it's on the if Johnny Cash is on the radio, I do not change the channel. No. You should, uh, so first of all, you should listen to the American recordings that he did. All of them. There's many of them. Um, they were done like later in his career with Rick Rubin, who you will know as uh, mm-hmm. the guy who helped get the Beastie Boys off the ground and then took advantage of them, and I have a little res- less respect for him now. But, um, yeah, uh, the American recordings. Like, do you have Spotify or whatever? Like, what do you use for music? Um, we use the uh, the Apple iTunes, whatever iMusic or whatever okay, it is. Yeah, check out. Uh, just check out American recordings. The first four okay. volumes were done before he died, and any volume after that was stuff he had recorded before he died. Obviously, 
but um was released after he died but there's some very very good stuff in those posthumous volumes too but that will okay. change your mind on johnny cash uh and as far as country goes to so johnny cash also uh willie nelson redheaded stranger listen to that album i defy you to not be impressed by it with what you're saying about music otherwise um yeah country it's all about finding the right thing uh just like it is with rap honestly like it either resonates with you or it doesn't but there's good stuff in everything um oh man we are definitely going to be podcasting again you so so no joke like uh, hold on let me I dropped my headset. Uh, no joke. I went into planning to record with you thinking, all I want to talk about is Beastie Boys, but Glenn isn't going to want to talk about Beastie Boys. Two, we're talking about Beastie Boys. And also, by the way, I'm still recording, so this is what we call an after dark uh, section of the podcast. Uh, so this will also be released. Um, but yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to have to record again. And apparently we're going to have to talk about hip-hop. And uh, whatever else you want to challenge I, me to listen to, and I might think it's about something for you. I, I will warn you, my hip hop pretty much stops at the end of the '80s. Uh, so <laughs> that's fine with me. <laughs> um, I'll give you very, very little '90s, very little 2000s. Oh yeah, um, like honestly, like, I mean, I started listening to hip hop in. Okay, let's see how. Okay, now I gotta think. Okay, I'm 36. I started listening to hip hop. See, the problem was is that when I started listening to hip-hop, I didn't listen to mainstream stuff. Like, I've, I've never been a big fan of mainstream stuff. Mm. But I'll uh, we'll, 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 we'll text. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss some stuff. And I'll challenge you some stuff that you haven't listened to. And I want you to challenge okay. me with some music I haven't listened to. And we'll, we'll end up doing a, a music podcast at some point. So, All right, you're my new podcast partner. There we go. Glenn is now a regular <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> As that Who would have thunk it? You know, it's funny. So, like, <laughs> you listen to Nerdy Legion podcast, right? Uh, yes, I do. So, I like I don't podcast on Nerdy Legion anymore because I the one I do with Sparky, like, we split off from that because it just kind of needed to be something different. But um, mm-hmm. of the Nerdy Legion podcast, so my cousin Mike does the wrestling one. That basically is rooted in me getting them started because it was Ronnie and another guy whose name we won't mention because nobody likes him. Um they wanted to do a wrestling podcast and Martin and I jumped in and I pushed them to do it. And I was the one on that first episode of that podcast, like getting them going basically. And then I was the one that said, Hey, you need to get my cousin Mike on here. And now after all this time, like it is just my cousin's podcast. Um, the DC podcast that Ronnie and Aaron do started from me starting one with them because I wanted to talk about rebirth, but I couldn't keep to it regularly. So at a certain point they wanted to keep doing it. I handed it over to them. They've made it their own thing. Um, Quite a few of the podcasts on there were like that. Like, uh, it was people, even other ones, like it was people that uh, Martin and I talked to on Twitter that we got to do something, and then suddenly they're podcasters. And so many of them said, I'm not a podcaster. Then eventually they became pod- podcasters. That happens, so. No, I haven't listened to much of those. The only, the only one I listen to is just, I guess, the main Nerdy Legion podcast with Nick and, and Martin. Yeah. Where they talk about absolutely nothing. It's the most enjoyable two hours of my day. Yeah. And see, that started totally different. That was uh, when when Martin had the idea to start. That was totally Martin's idea. It was going to be like a panel podcast each time. Mm-hmm. And they were going to do like different people every time. And man, Nick and Martin settled into their groove. And like, I haven't listened in a long time, but I see how it resonates with people, man. And they're they're doing their thing. And that, I mean, that's exactly what podcasting should be. It's just you're having fun. 
And if people want to listen, they listen. And if they don't, they don't. Who cares? Like, look at Mike Myers. He doesn't give a damn if anybody listens to his podcast. He does them because he wants to talk to people. And, you know, let me tell you, like, I am sure I get way less listeners than, uh, than Mike does. I don't, you know, I don't care. Like, it's, it's just about talking to people. I was this close to dropping podcasting altogether when we had this big gap, like, with all this stuff, crazy stuff going on in the world. Um, Sparky got sick, and he had, like, two months where he couldn't record. And I was this close to just, like, I almost gave my mic to my cousin and said, here, you use this because you'll actually put it to use, and I'm just done. And then finally, Sparky got better. We did a podcast, and I said, you know what? I missed this. And it kept me in it, you know? It's just about having fun. That's all it is. Anyways, I will let you go. This will end up on the podcast also. Um, I got to go put my son to bed. And, uh, yeah, we'll do this again. I'll text you. We'll make a plan a couple weeks or so. We'll hit up again. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Day is happier after the show. That wasn't terrible. That was pathetic. Boom.